Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kenzie Dzinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach. And I'm Evan Dzinski. And this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. So it's August, and I know some of you are probably making the mental shift from summer to school year. But since it's technically summer a little longer, Evan and I will be hanging out with you two more weeks as we wrap up our Seven Lessons in Seven Years series. And before we dive into what we learned through year six, we'd be so grateful if you would pause this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and rate and review the show. To do that, just tap on the stars at the bottom of the podcast page, leave a review, and then submit a username on iTunes. It may take a sec, but it's super simple, and we honestly want to hear your thoughts and feedback. Last week, we talked about taking time to ask intentional questions in your marriage. We provided you with a series of questions that we were asking ourselves during our deconstruction period about life, love, and what matters most. And if you'd like, you can download those 40 questions at bravemarriage.com slash 059. In creating this worksheet, we wanted these lessons to be applicable to everyone, even though they're the ones we asked during our deconstruction phase. But this episode is about our reconstruction phase, meaning moving out of just asking questions and evaluating your life to taking action. And that's important because what's the point of deconstruction if there's not some sort of reconstruction afterward? Right, and like I said last week, Evan and I experienced something called post-traumatic growth, but we didn't know it until we were on the other side of it in that reconstruction phase. But again, the markers of post-traumatic growth, or PTG, are newfound appreciation of life, a sense that new opportunities have opened up that weren't present before, newfound personal strength, spiritual deepening and or a change in belief system, and a change in relationships. I wrote an article for the Lifestyle blog in her company almost two years ago now, in which I reflect on my experience with pregnancy loss and infertility, and unknowingly write on every single one of those markers. So what we would like to do today is to share with you the sections that I wrote there, and then Evan and I will add in commentary as I do because I think it will help you better understand this reconstruction process that Evan was just talking about. Yeah, and the lessons we learned through this season may very well be the most important ones we've learned to date, so keep listening in. In her company asked, How do you find joy in a life that looks different than the one you imagined for yourself? And I wrote, My ectopic pregnancy was time-slowing and life-altering for me. Months into our healing process, Evan and I finally saw that our lives were on a certain trajectory, one we hadn't consciously chosen but were intentionally working toward nonetheless. Slowly, we began to view life from a completely different perspective, and then suddenly, every opportunity became available to us. Of course, those options were available to us all along. It just took a shift in our focus and a mild rebellion against social norms to see and have the courage to live into them. For me personally, as I grieved the death of multiple dreams, I realized I had to find joy in the life I did have, not in the circumstances or outcomes I hoped for. So Evan, would you talk about the trajectory we were on versus the more conscious life we now lead? 
Yeah, the trajectory that we were on, I think, is really similar to a lot of other young married couples. I would say in their early 20s, you know, we got married at 23. I started working right away and Kinsey was in graduate school and we just had a lot going on. For me in particular, I was just thinking about how can I start my career and how can I move forward and work my way up and have a good reputation in the work that I was doing. And before I knew it and before we knew it, that had set our life on a specific trajectory. And we had started prescribing to a lot of social norms without thinking about them. And so that trajectory became very evident after our experience with pregnancy loss and infertility that unconsciously and unknowingly, we had prescribed to a certain lifestyle that wasn't necessarily what we wanted. Yeah, it was like we were just checking off all the right boxes because both of us were responsible individuals. We were moving in life right along the timeline that you might expect. But after this experience, it was like we took everything out of the closet to see what all was there. And then we just put back in the things that we really and truly wanted in our lives. And I use that as a metaphor, but out of that experience, we also took on sort of a minimalist-ish lifestyle where we did that with all sorts of things in our lives, from our material possessions to the way we spent our time to the things that we gave our attention to. And that's really when new opportunities came into view for us. I think for Evan, that was mainly moving into a position he enjoyed more, as well as cultivating a lifestyle with me that we both enjoy. Wouldn't you say, babe? Yeah, absolutely. And for me, it was finally going to visit my sponsored child in Uganda, who I said I would go visit when I was 16, but it took me till 29 to actually follow through. And it was also me thinking for the first time, why am I not being more direct in my business and private practice in terms of the stage of life I most desire to help couples in, which is in those first few years? Because they're so delicate, but so important. And I really feel called to meet a need for couples in that stage of life and to fill in the gap between engagement and our marriage is falling apart and we don't know how we got here. So really, brave marriage, courageous conversations, and this podcast all came in the reconstruction phase for me as pieces of my life that I not only desired to leave in, but to consciously and intentionally cultivate. Now, I also want to address what I mentioned earlier, that as I grieved the death of multiple dreams, I had to find joy in the life I did have, not in the circumstances or outcomes I hoped for. There's a certain privilege that comes with things in your life going as planned or as expected, so much so that you're not even aware of how amazing your life actually is or how incredibly blessed you are. And when it comes to having children, we don't have that privilege, if you will. And so every significant life choice then, moving forward, is front of mind for us and not taken for granted. For example, when we were engaged in preparing for marriage, we asked the question, well, what if we can't have children for some reason? Then what will we do? And I think that question was there because of those in my life I'd already seen walk that journey. But our answer eight years ago was, well, we'll just adopt. Which, for any of you listening who've adopted, I don't know if you're laughing at our naivety or completely irritated at that comment, but uh, it's such a consumerist approach to having children. Like, 
ordering the same thing you always get at your favorite restaurant without even thinking about it, and the waiter telling you they're out, and you say, oh, okay, well, that's disappointing. I'll just have this instead. (laughs) Right? That's an easy choice to make. But when we face the actual reality of pregnancy loss and infertility, our thoughtless words, albeit well-intentioned, suddenly meant far less in light of real-life decisions. And I'm kind of going on a little rant here because I want to say two things. One, if you have not walked the same road in the same shoes as the people around you whose lives look differently than yours, you may think you know what choices you would make if you were them, but I guarantee you, you don't. Just like we were humbled by the choices we thought we would have made eight years ago when everything was hypothetical compared to the choices we've made in real time. And two, If you are or have experienced something in your life that looks different than what's normative culturally, it's okay for you to take time in making your decisions, especially when it comes unexpectedly. And it's okay to change your mind. And it's okay for you to hear what others think around you, what they think they would do, and then to still prayerfully go on to make the best choice for you and your situation. And I suppose I'm adding this in there because... I wish someone would have said this to me and to us that directly during that season of our lives. But also, just as there's a certain privilege that comes with not having to consciously question the way your life plays out compared to the way the lives of others play out, it's not lost on me that there's also a certain privilege in living in a space and place and time when suffering isn't just met with trying to survive, but with reflection and making meaning and finding purpose in life. And I feel confident saying that if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're living in that same space with that same privilege, which is why we encouraged you last week to think intentionally about your life and relationships and why we're sharing so much about all that we've gained right alongside all that we've lost. Which leads me to the next question in the article, which asked you to expand on something you'd written prior to our interview which was that suffering has been an essential ingredient for the kind of hope and faith you now know. Would you mind to share what you wrote in response to that? Yeah, I wrote, Suffering sent me into a search for myself and a search for who God really is. Growing up in a Christian culture and context, I'd previously only understood grace in terms of God blessing me beyond what I deserve. Through suffering, I discovered that His greatest grace in my life is his presence with me in the midst of my very human experience. Paradoxically, and in the most loving, kind, and safe way, that's where I found my truest self, my most deep-rooted faith, and my most palpable hope. Suffering was the catalyst for that life lesson, but the hope and faith I now know required both a fight and a surrender in that season. That's the best way I found to describe the life-changing process I went through. Psalm 126.5 says, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. That's the fight. That you keep going day by day, even if it means doing so in your own tears. Through the process, you find within you an otherworldly strength that you can't know is there until life forces you to come to terms with reality, with your brokenness, with your humanity and your limitations. Thus, to make it out on the other side of suffering requires a fight to hold on to yourself and your truth. Another passage I clung to during that season was Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, 
Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That's the surrender. Giving up your illusions that you are A, somehow in control of what happens in your life, and B, able to fix or manage anything or anyone other than yourself, and still saying, though blank, and insert any difficult time you're going through, yet I will choose to find my joy in the Lord, in the one who gave and gifted me life in the first place. Okay, so going back to the first part about what suffering taught us, it very much led me to not take a single thing for granted in my life, but it was a fight to do that. It was an active process, an act of waiting, and an act of sowing. And I remember the first time I read Psalm 126.5 as an active verse and not a passive one, that sowing in tears doesn't mean holing up in your bedroom for the rest of time and feeling sorry for yourself and your circumstances. It means that you continue to plant and you continue to sow and you keep crying and praying and seeking comfort from Jesus. But you do all of that at the same time. And you keep doing that until the clouds part, until things get a little bit easier, and until you can look back and make meaning out of difficulty. And I know I said earlier that we're privileged to live in a world where thriving and not just surviving is certainly a possibility, but as a believer in Jesus, that privilege is inherent, as it is for all of us. The ability to walk in freedom and fullness, healing and wholeness, even when the unexpected or worst-case scenarios do happen. All right, babe, I've talked a lot about how my faith was impacted, but would you mind to share your thoughts on suffering, whether spiritual, relational, or otherwise? Yeah, suffering is never fun. It was really difficult in the moment, and it was really difficult afterwards. But having walked through the process, one of my main takeaways from suffering is that you don't choose your circumstances. They typically choose you. All you get to choose in the midst of suffering is how you respond. We had no control over the circumstances that were happening to us. We had no foreknowledge that we should even prepare for the circumstances that happened to us. But by not running from it, going through the actual experience, the grief, the grief counseling, deconstructing our lives, and then reconstructing it, I realized a newly found strength in our relationship. I felt like we were to a point where we could get through anything together, regardless of how difficult. I think that's the two sides of the coin of suffering and difficulty in your marriage, is that it is really difficult in the moment, but through deconstruction and then reconstruction, you can get to a place where you feel stronger and closer than before. Yeah, and I think the surrender part has been crucial to that as well. Life happened to us, whether we would have preferred it to or not. And I think that had one of us not surrendered to it, we honestly might still be stuck, bargaining with God for what we most desired at the time or taking matters into our own hands. But instead, I think we're both more aware than ever of just how not in control we actually are, which is really a freeing place to be. I remember a few years back, after we'd walked through all of this, a mentor of mine asked if I'd want to work for him in doing some life and business coaching. And knowing at that point what I'm called to for this season, I told him I was solely focusing on working with couples in their first few years, and we got to talking and he realized I see a lot less clients per week than him, 
and I realized he saw way more clients per week than I would ever be able to keep straight. And thinking it was a helpful question, he asked, why would you limit yourself like that? And while I wasn't quick enough in the moment to respond this way, my answer is, because I can. Because more than ever, I'm aware of my limitations and that they're actually good gifts from God that keep me dependent on Him. And so no, our life hasn't looked anything like we thought it would, but it's really, really good. And in some ways, we're better for the journey than we would have been otherwise. Yeah, and we know that not all listeners have experienced the same things that Kenzie and I have, that all of our stories are different and unique. However, I just want to reemphasize the importance of actually carrying out the reconstruction process. In my observations, I've noticed so many people and couples that just sit in their suffering or deconstruct their lives but then continue to feel hopeless because they don't take action. I just want to encourage you, because we all have struggles and difficulties in our lives and relationships, to complete the entire process. Don't stop short. I believe there's so much acquired strength and meaning on the other side. We've experienced it. It's my hope that our unique story we have been walking through in the last couple of episodes provides encouragement and motivation for you to take action in your unique story. In our prayer for your marriage this week is that whatever your unique story, that you would become conscious of the fact that if you are a believer in Jesus, your life is hidden with Christ. And that when all feels lost, there's hope and freedom and life that is found in him in the moment as well as on the other side of your darker days. We care about you guys. We're thankful you're here and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Love is not a battle. Love is not a bond. Love is just as fragile as it is.